This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c everyone. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood with information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field. My hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Hello, welcome to this episode. So this episode is part of the sleep training series that I have done, and I'm so glad to welcome Andrea. Andrea is a sleep training consultant, and she has a fantastic Instagram page called babysleep.answers. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love your page. I am so excited you're here too. I, you know, what I wanted to do was I, I recorded an episode on my own. I had some other episodes as well, but I really wanted to get a sleep training consultant on just to kind of educate families about the different methods out there. So I'm so glad that you're on today. So tell me a little bit more about why you became a sleep training consultant and also a little bit more about your account. Yeah, for sure. Actually, um, if I if I can, I'll say I want to be more of a sleep consultant than just a sleep training consultant, because I want to help people figure out what's going on with their sleep before they even think they have to sleep train. Because that's something a lot of people fear, like I'm going to have to sleep train. And most people, you don't actually have to, you know, when we think sleep train, we think like leaving kids for crying for hours in their bed, right? And so what I focus on is giving like the perfect schedule, perfect environment, perfect everything so that they, when they're tired, they can just go to sleep. And then if we need to step back, like take another step and do sleep training, then we can find like the most gentle method or the most intense method, whatever works best for a family. Um, But sorry, backtracking. How did I get into this? My first boy, I have two little sons and my first little dude was not sleeping and it was six months. I had horrible postpartum anxiety and I didn't know what to do. And so I didn't, I'm a very proud person, so I didn't want to hire help. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to get certified. I'm going to figure it out. And I did, I got certified. And then through that, I realized there was a lot I didn't know. And a lot, a lot of of moms don't know. And I realized I could make something that could help more moms have easily accessible information about what they can do for baby sleep. 
sorry, I tend to ramble a lot. No, this <laughs> is good. Well, this is why we have a this is why we have a, a podcast episode for this because I mean we could we could record like ten different episodes because there's so much to go over in regards to sleep. So I'm happy that obviously what you're what you're doing is coming from a place of need, right? You said that you had a um a boy, a son who just wasn't sleeping well, and you're like, you know what? I need to change this, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to change it. So yeah, tell me more. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I did. Actually, it's interesting because with that little dude, I took the course, I finished it up and I was doing everything right. And he still wasn't sleeping. And so I talked to my trainer person and I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, well, if you're doing everything right, then you know, there's something wrong. And I was like, huh? She's like, maybe there's an allergy going on. And she was right. There was a dairy allergy that I had not noticed. He had no other symptoms except he was in pain at night. Um, Eventually he did have, you know, blood and diapers because it was, a, we hadn't seen it for so long, we had no other symptoms. And so that helped me realize too, like, if you have everything in order, if you sleep train early, well, not necessarily sleep train, but if baby is having as much sleep as possible, it is easier to know that there's something wrong, right? Because a lot of the times mom are like, I don't mind if he's waking up more than four times a night, like it's our time to cuddle. And that's completely fine. But sometimes you have to say like, well, maybe there's some underlying issue that you don't know, because you haven't quite figured out their sleep needs. Um, And so that's another huge part of why I do what I do. It's because there's just so much information we don't know as new moms, right? And so that's why I'm on my Instagram all the time, like just sharing things, just talking to people, just saying like, it's okay to feel like you have no idea what's going on because I don't, I mean, I don't know much about nutrition. And so I've had to reach out to nutritionists and dietitians and pediatricians. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that do want to help. And so who would you think would benefit from hiring a sleep consultant? Like, um, obviously, because you are meeting the family at their needs, the child's age. So, you know, talking a little bit more about the services that you provide, um, who do you think would benefit from having a sleep consultant? Honestly, I always say people always ask me, like, when do I need a sleep trainer? Where do I need help? And I'm always saying, like, when you have a situation where you're unhappy, you know, your baby's unhappy or something's happening that is not sustainable, then I would reach out for help. Not necessarily to sleep in something like, you don't have to hire me, you know, I'm here for you. But reach out for help, reach out to other moms, reach out to your pediatrician, anybody else, when you feel like something's wrong, right? Or when what you're doing is just, that, that's the word I use, because people ask me all the time, like, is it bad? I'm like, well, is it sustainable? Is it sustainable that you're up every hour nursing baby? Are the, Is that making you a happy person? And is that making baby a happy person? And if the answer is ever no, Or like if you're holding baby for every single nap and you can't do anything because of that, that's probably not sustainable. Some people like it. Some people want to hold their baby for every nap and they can do it and completely fine. But if that's not sustainable for you, sorry for saying sustainable a million times, um, that's when I think you need to reach out for help. And that and that is exactly the point that I want everyone to understand is that it's not a requirement that you have to have a baby sleep through the night by X day. It's about what is what do what do you want for your family and what do you want obviously for the caretaker? You know, my perspective is and the reason why I am so pro sleep training is not that I'm wanting the kid to sleep and you know this it has to be this way. It's that there, sleep is beneficial in so many ways to the child um, in terms of immune health, in terms of behavior, um, especially getting into the toddler years. But more so, it has a huge effect on mother's maternal well-being, which is what you know you were saying that you had gone through a little bit. Um, and I, that's the reason why I chose it. Now, it is such a it's it, it is a controversial thing, you know, the methods or how early or how you do it. I'm happy we're having this conversation because I want everyone to know who's listening. The reason why it's so confusing is that there's just many different schools of thought about 
how it can be done. Um, and unfortunately, there's just not so much literature. Um, I recorded one episode with um, a PhD about early childhood stress, and we talked about all the literature that um, is surrounding uh, sleep training. Um, and we talked about how there needs to be more research to say that, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I want to know, what are your thoughts first on how early a baby can be sleep trained? And I know you're not always doing sleep training, but in terms of if a family wants to get a baby, quote unquote, sleeping through the night, how early do you think that can be done? Honestly, I mean, sleeping through the night is also definitely never a goal. It's just like sleeping as much as baby needs is always my goal. And so honestly, that's my goal from the day they're home from the hospital. I want to make it so that baby is comfortable, has is learning the skill of independent sleep and is, you know, is not going down overtired, is not going to go under tired. And so as soon as they're home from the hospital, you can start to work on that skill. Now, as far as actual sleep training methods go, I usually just wait until three to four months when they've had a change in the way that they're sleeping. But they're just, I mean, you probably know this a lot more than me since you've been talking to people with research. I haven't found any research that says like, all right, two months and three days, that's exactly when you can sleep train. Because in, I mean, overall, the the definition of sleep training is just teaching a baby how to sleep on their own. And so you can do that as early as a newborn. Some babies take to it a lot quicker than others. Um, or you can do it whenever you're ready for it. Like I just hopped off a call with a 20 month old mom who was definitely ready for it. And I've had, I've had eight year old clients who are still not sleeping through the night. That mom was miserable. So I don't recommend that, but it really, you can start working on good habits as soon as you're ready for it. That's another thing too. Cause if it's stressing you out, if it's making you more anxious and it's not time for it, that's what I tell like newborn moms always like, this is stressing you out too much. Take a break there. <laughs> some time and the next week for the first nap of the day try to put them down awake and see what happens and that i love thank you so much for clarifying clarifying the terminology because there is such a like again there's just a lot of this sort of my baby has to be doing x y and z has to be doing this by a certain time and it's really like you said it's sleep training sure i get it that everyone wants their baby to sleep through the night and when i say that i'm using the terminology of seven to seven not waking up a single time but that is not always going to be the case. I and 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 that is not and I want people to understand that and that's why it's so hard because then like you said earlier on in this conversation already, you know, you'll ask other friends like, "Well, what did you do?" "Oh, I did cry it out or I did um gentle weaning where we wean down the feeds." And then you try it for your child and all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, what the heck's happening? Why isn't it working for me?" But it's such sleep is such a um, you know, there's so many different things that go into sleep, the environment, like you said, the, the, the person, like the baby itself, like the temperament. And so it's, it's nice having these conversations and people understanding that there's no recipe that's going to be the end all be all that your child's going to sleep through the night per se. It's this sort of, okay, how can I teach them self-soothing? That I think is a, is a better, is a better kind of terminology. Well, actually, I'll challenge that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll challenge that yeah. because there, there is proof that babies can't self-soothe. But the thing is, we're not asking them to self-soothe. Like toddlers can't self-soothe, right? They can't regulate their emotions, but they can't self-settle. 
And you've so yeah. touched on us a lot, but there is so much polarization between, you know, like the super crunchy moms that only want to co-sleep and the super cried out that think co-sleeping is so bad. And there's just always so much battling. And it's like, why can't we just understand that this is what worked for me? That's what worked for you. And we all have our child's best interest in mind, you know? And so that's what people will throw it up. It's like, well, you want to have a baby self-soothe and they can't, or you don't want to have an independent child. And it's just like, no, 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 we don't have to focus on that. We have to see on what the baby needs and what they can do. A baby can learn to self-settle if they are well-rested, if they're ready to go to sleep, if they're not hungry or uncomfortable, right? And so that's where we're going to work, wherever they are, however they are. Maybe sometimes it's going to take some crying to get there, depending on age and personality and parenting style, Mm -hmm. but it's not a reason to hate on someone, (laughs) right? Yes. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. There's a lot of, you know, mommy, I actually had to leave some mommy groups because being a pediatrician on a mommy (laughs) group is probably the worst thing because, um, because of all the false medical information that's put out there, not necessarily the parenting stuff. And we're coming down in a way and sleep training is, or sleep in general is a parent, it can be a parenting thing, but also a developmental Mm -hmm. thing. Um, but there is, you're right, a lot of negative, against each other. And it's exhausting as a mother and pediatrician, because I'm telling everyone, even in the other episodes that I I recorded, there is literally no right or wrong. So when people start attacking, I I love that you're saying that because when people start attacking both sides, you're right. I completely agree that the anti sleep train versus the anti co sleep versus whatever. It's like, well, you're going to ruin your kid this way. You're going to ruin this kid. In the end, I'm like, does it really matter what anyone else is doing with their children's sleep? Like it doesn't affect 
me how you andrea sleep trained your son versus yeah yeah i keep thinking you but i always think about like do you really think like when they're 20 they're gonna be talking to how you sleep trained like there is so much more yeah there's like behavior there's nutrition this should not be the thing that makes you angry at someone else Exactly. And I, and oh, I love talking. I love talking about that because the, the, just the butting of heads and I get it. If it's not for you, if a method is not for one family, that doesn't mean that method is a bad method. It just means it didn't work for your family. And I, you know, again, why I wanted to record this with you was because I, like I said, have my ways that I sleep trained Ryan, but that doesn't mean, and I obviously know that that's not going to work for every family, nor could it work when I have a second child? Yeah. You know, it's, and I've seen that. And that's another comment is that sometimes like parents will have the same method. They have a second sibling and that method is just not working for sibling number two. And it's, it's really important that they understand that. It's funny you say that because I have a lot of clients that are third time parents and they're like, well, I figure I should know this by now. It's like, why you're meeting a brand new person. (laughs) Yeah. Brand new person, brand new temp temperament, right? And I keep bringing back the temperament of the baby um, because it has, it can have a huge, it has a huge way of understanding, well, how, what sleep method choice, sleep, if you decide to sleep train, but what am I going to do to meet the baby's temperament? Because some babies just do not respond well to cry methods. Some babies will not respond well to gentler oh, methods. Yeah. And I've seen this in my office and I saw it with my own son. <laughs> so I, I love this. So the next question I wanted to ask you is um, your thoughts, obviously, because i um, just having a discussion on dropping feedings versus not. And again, I know we're not talking again that everyone has to have a baby sleeping through the night, but when you are deciding to sleep train, um, do you feel like dropping feeds is okay? Does it depend? What are your thoughts about that? My honest um, thought on this is that I don't want to get sued ever. So I never give nutrition advice. <laughs> I, you never awesome. Great answer. I always say, ask your pediatrician. Now, yes. if you also have an opinion on feeding babies when they're not hungry. And this is also where some people differ. Some people love to comfort nurse. I absolutely hate nursing. And so I never comfort nursed, but I understand that some people like to comfort nurse, right? And so sometimes when baby wakes up, people just pick them up and plug them on the boob, right? Or pick them up and give them a bottle. I like to let baby tell us what they need, right? So they might need to cry for a minute or two and then go back to sleep, which we would never know if we just picked them up and fed them. And so my thing with Going through the night is never, it's not to drop a feed until your pediatrician tells you it's okay. Um, but at the beginning, to always give them a chance to tell us what they need and to give them what they need, not just always feed them milk. Does that help? Is that a good answer? <laughs> yes. But, and, you know, that is actually a really, really good point because I, I go downstream and I know, I think you at the end, you're going to talk about like you had a, you had, you had a course that you did, but I did a podcast episode about the first three months of life and about that sort of waiting a little bit before we jump them to a feeding. I, I totally respect mothers who want that sort of comfort and that closeness, but it's the pause, right? And the French are actually very popular about doing this la pause. Like you, you're pausing a little bit before you respond to your baby it does not mean that you're not responding to a newborn. It means that you're taking a minute or two before you jump. Um, and before you, you're assessing their needs. And I, we did that with Ryan and it, it really does help. Um, but I, I agree. I love that you said that you leave it to the pediatrician or nutrition. This is, I want to speak about this because this is actually another contested thing within sleep training. Now we obviously are deciding sleep train versus not. Okay, fine. But now if someone is deciding to sleep train, right. Meaning um, get their baby sleeping through the night, there is a huge debate on dropping feeds versus 
complete no feeds overnight. Now, I also look at how that baby was doing at the visit when I talk to the family about the methods. So like I, when I go into a visit and they come in at the four month visit, I say, well, what's going on at night? Because I think that's an important thing for parents to know, because sometimes if a baby is truly feeding full feeds, not like one minute on the breast back down, but true feeds, there can be a difficulty in getting those feeds off um, cold turkey. Um, So that's why it's hard. I, I mean, everyone probably listened to my other episode. We ended up doing a complete cry method with Ryan because he was already stretching eight hours. So he was already stretching eight hours. So I made, we made the decision, well, he was already stretching eight. Why don't we see if we can do a 12? And it worked for him because of the temperament. But I think when parents are trying to find what strategy works, and this is why I'm so glad about the series of episodes, they have to kind of think, well, let me see what my baby is doing and let me get the go ahead from the pediatrician. Because I agree, weight is obviously a concern. If a baby's not gaining weight, um, and then we, they're not going to clear you for sleep training because they want to obviously make sure. So that's a really great point. Yeah. And actually most of my clients, I, I kind of, I think I, what's it called? Attract clients that are less on the cry it out method train. And so most of them are like, well, if I sleep train, do I have to stop nursing? And I'm like, you don't even have to stop night nursing. It's all up to you, whatever you want to do. You can ask for my opinion on what I think might be better for the sleep, but it's completely up to you. Sleep training just means teaching them the skill of independent sleep. It doesn't mean they won't wake up asking for food anymore. It they're going to starve, right? So you have to be in constant communication with yourself. What am I okay with? What do I want? And then also like, I don't, I, I have a pediatrician that told me at four months that he was ready to stop eating at night and just give him water. And that didn't feel well with me. So I followed my gut and I was like, you know what? I don't think he, I don't think he's ready for that. And I didn't do it. So I think it's really important to confer with a pediatrician and then confer with yourself and any, yes. your, your spouse, if you have one, anybody else, because it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And it's, it's up to you whether you're going to do it. And it's up to you again, like which method you would choose. Now you, you know, you obviously talked about briefly that a lot of your clients end up being more on the non-cry or minimal crying. Is there any absolute no-cry method of sleep training or teaching a baby to self-soothe? Or is there some degree of fuss or crying that you'll see? Usually, I would say 99.99%, there's always some kind of fuzzing, even if it's for a minute or two, right? There might be... The thing is, I've had clients that follow everything that I say, and they put their baby down, and they don't cry at all, and they just go to sleep. And I'm going to, I'm going to say like, that's because baby was ready to fall asleep. They had that skill. You weren't letting them. And so no, I'm not going to say that there's any method that hundred percent will tell you it's no crying because you're te- teaching a baby something. And usually when you're trying to teach a baby something, they're going to fight back or protest at least. And the only way they can protest is through crying. Cause that's the only way they know how to talk. Right. Um, so no, I wouldn't go into it thinking like my baby's not going to cry if I do the most gentle method. Also, as you mentioned, sometimes we try gentle methods and we try to be there with them all the time. And that just makes me yeah. angry. You know, like I know I yeah. if someone kept touching me while I tried to fall asleep and we don't think about that. You know, we just think like, oh, baby needs me. Baby needs me. And it's like, well, not necessarily always, you know, baby is a his own entity. So maybe sometimes he needs space as like hard sounding them as that may be. Yeah. And you brought, it's so funny because this happened last night, literally the (laughs) night before we're recording this episode. So Ryan, we sleep trained him and he woke up at two in the morning and he's never done this Mm -hmm. like in the last week. Okay. And I was like, wow, but I left the room only because I was just testing him to see what he does. And 
I, the last, uh, there was a few nights that happened prior that I would stay in the room and he would cry. We did for, we're doing Ferber right now. And he would just keep crying. And I'm like, wow, this isn't working. Um, and then finally I'm like, you know what, let me just see if I go out, what's going to happen. He stopped crying in a minute. Yeah. And it's because I was there mm-hmm. and he was basically, it, it, he's old enough and he's, sm- he's super smart mm-hmm. that he kind of knew mommy's here, but I can do this on my own, but she's here. Maybe she'll do something. And he stopped in a minute. And my husband was actually um, still awake at the time. And he and I was like, I asked him, he's like, yeah, he fell asleep in a minute. I'm like, wow. And I've realized that for him, this situation, like you said, me being around was probably going to mess up his ability in this situation to do what he knows how to do. And it's such a fascinating thing. And I know that's probably why parents are so confused. They're like, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's what I should do. Um, but great point. I completely agree with that. And from personal experience, I would say that that makes a lot of sense that it's not always so, so clear cut. And for anyone listening, I, you know, as a pediatrician, mother, person who's very into development, if you do allow any sort of crying, I'm going to be honest, minute, 30 minutes, whatever method you choose, you're not harming your baby. Um, I know there's a lot of people who won't ever believe that because that's what they want to believe. And I'm okay with that. But I also want people to understand that if you choose that method, which many people choose, including myself, you're not harming anyone if if that's the method you choose to go by. Um, whether it's one minute of fussing, two minute or longer, we're never going to allow a baby to cry for four hours, um, please. But it is definitely, definitely understanding that you have to allow a little bit of fuss sometimes, like you said, in some of these gentler methods also. What is an example of like a gentle, gentler, and I say gentler method because that's the kind of terminology, but of something that you're describing that is more of a lesser cry method, if you, I don't know what, you can correct me on the terms, for a baby who's around six months old. What would that look like? And correct me on the terminology if you need to. No, I mean, as I, we were talking earlier, like there's not a lot of regulation on sleep training (laughs) methods. Yeah, there's so many things. And so there's not really one method. I choose what my methods are. Um, yeah, I call it more involved slash more gentle. Um, a more involved method might be including like, if they're used to nursing to sleep all the time, you try to instead of nursing them down, you rock them to sleep, right for a few nights. And then instead of rocking them to sleep for a few nights, you put them in their crib and pat them to sleep for a few nights. And then after a while, you just kind of keep your hands on them and you just gently, and this can take weeks or months as long as it's at your pace, right? So that's a more really, really, really gentle way of doing it. There's still probably going to be some protesting. Another one is a really popular one, the sleep lady shuffle method of you put a chair right next to them and when they fuzz, you help them. And then you move your chair away every night. Um, Another one is a pat and shush, which is similar to that first one. You know, you just pat and shush them (laughs) until they almost fall asleep and then you stop and then you do it again. Um, That's actually the method we chose with our six month old when we realized that he had a dairy allergy. Um, It was pretty miserable because we didn't know he had a dairy allergy. Um, But it's a similar one that I recommend a lot to newborns, not to sleep train, but to to comfort them when they're trying to fall asleep. And then what about, so yeah, that's six months. And then in terms of like an 18 month old that maybe mommy was um, sleeping, like if you had a, a mother who was co-sleeping with their 18 month old, but now that they're, they're ready to move that um, toddler into their own crib or whatever it may be, what would be an example of what some options are in that situation? You know, it's really cool because it's pretty much very similar <laughs> methods, regardless if it's a one month old or a six month old or an 18 month old, or even an eight year old, like you're going to try to meet them where they are give them what they need and carefully scaffold your way out of there, you know, wean them away from it. So same similar thoughts, right? If you want to be super involved, you start just rocking them to sleep and putting them down. 
or you start doing something more like fervor. Actually, I think fervor is the kindest thing you can do to a toddler versus like being there with them. Just because I feel like when you're with them, not helping them, it's kind of, they're confusing. It's like, why are you here if you're not going to help me? Um, I can, I should take that back. It might not be necessarily for every family, but something like a fervor method where you tell them, I'll be right back. You close your eyes. And if, you're, if your eyes are closed, come and give you a hug and doing that. However, like the older they are, the harder, harder it gets because they're more communicate. They're communicating more. They're, they're like understanding more. They can, they know that you're not there. Um, so sorry, I know that's super vague, but I try to really come up with something that like when I work one-on-one -on -one with someone, I, I try to really find what is the method that's going to work for them and then only fine tune on that and yeah. feedback. Yeah. And no, no, that's great. And uh, again, for anyone who's listening, the, I, I do talk about Ferber method and all the different kind of methods that I talk to families about in the other podcast episode that was released today. So we're not going to get into details on Ferber per se, or all the different methods, but just wanted to have, again, a conversation with someone who um, does this for a living. So I'm, I'm super, you know, obviously grateful for you. Now, the next section of this episode, I wanted to go through um, questions that I got asked on a question box that I put on my Instagram. So obviously I got tons, but I, we don't have time to talk about everything, but the first question, and again, just your basic tips, cause we could do a whole episode about this. I'm sure is how to transition a baby from, and let's, let's just for the um, sake of this uh, discussion, talk about a six month old, how to transition a six month old who is used to sleeping on mom, or you can go younger, four month old, on mom, um, or in a swing, uh, or like a bouncer to a crib? Because that's what common question I'm getting is how do I get my baby from what they're used to, to somewhere new? Yeah, well, something that's going to be really important in there is that you are breaking a really strong habit, right? And imagine you trying to quit smoking, or you trying to quit like something you absolutely love, there is going to be protesting because someone's taking away something you know and you think you need and your body is telling you you need so that's the first thing to acknowledge right so if there's lots of crying it doesn't mean it's it's evil it just means you're taking a step towards what they need even though they don't understand that right and then similar thing it's like finding a way to scaffold away from it to wean away from it um, but the thing is, and I forgot to say this, like the most important part of sleep is making sure baby's not overtired and the baby has a good environment and that baby knows what's happening with routines and schedules. Um, because if you try any method without any all of that, you're just going to have hours and hours of struggle, right? So making sure that everything is set in place. For example, if they're used to sleeping in a swing, right? So they're used to sleeping in a swing in the living room for naps, but you want them in their room for a crib, Right. Make sure schedule's fine. Make sure you have good routines. Make sure you have a great environment and then put the swing in the room, right? So slowly wean them towards what you want. Or, you know, you can go cold turkey, but you're going to have more crying. Are you okay with that crying? Yes, no, do it. Yeah, that's exactly, that's that's great. And we are struggling. We're, I, I'm not going to say struggle because we're making a choice not to put Ryan in his crib right now um, because we we enjoy the naps on us. But we know, and I know, because I know child development and behavior, that is going to take, and it can take weeks for them to get a new skill. Like you said, like even for nighttime um, sleeping, like you said, daytime too, like naps, if you're going to get them in like a place that you want them, like a crib, it can take rep repetitive behavior, troubleshooting, obviously, but it's not a, oh, four nights or four days and we're going to be okay with the new normal they are a baby and they, they have what they're used to, like, just like us, that it's really, really hard to get them to change what they're used to and what they're comfortable with. I completely agree with that. 
Now, kind of again, naps were a whole big, big question on my on my Q and A. Um, what are again? I know a lot of it might have to do with um, scheduling and whatnot, but what a lot of the people were asking, what about short naps? What is your general kind of um, what you would say about babies who babies who have short naps? I know toddlers might be a little different, but maybe like again, let's use six month old as an example. A baby who's six months who just has 20, 30 minute power naps and not going longer. 20 would tell me that they're overtired, right? So you need a mixed schedule around. Always, I always start with schedule. <laughs> but definitely 20 is too short. If it's like 30, 45, I really wouldn't worry. There are a lot of sleep consultants that do crib hour, which means you leave them in there. If they wake up at 45 and you teach them, they're going to stay in their crib for an hour. And eventually they put that together. I personally can't do that. And I don't like to refer people to do something I personally can't do. And I know it's because I'm a wimp with crying. <laughs> so I never personally suggest, can I say personally again, <laughs> um, suggest crib hour, but I know it can be successful, right? The reason I don't suggest it besides not being personally <laughs> is because sometimes you don't know why they're crying. Maybe they were overtired and they actually need help connecting that nap. Maybe they were undertired and they really don't need more night's sleep. Um, and they just eventually learn that they have to stay in the crib for an hour. It's just not my type of doing things. Um, but, you know, most baby, a lot of babies don't know how to consolidate naps until closer to seven, eight months. And so I always tell parents, like, if you're getting a 30, 40 minute nap, like, it's fine. Stop stressing about it. If you want to do something about it, there's always crib hour. There's always like wake them up at 30 minutes so they can restart their cycle. But honestly, like I, I'm on stress free. <laughs> you know, don't worry about long naps until you are at eight months and it's not happening and then obviously like have the schedule have the perfect environment everything else to make sure that you're setting that up when it comes to raising kids there's so much to consider things like what do we feed them when do we feed them how do they sleep what does it look like to raise kind kids how does their nervous system work how do i keep myself calm what are my triggers there's so much that comes into play and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Becoming a new mom does not come with a manual, but I'm trying to get as close to it as possible. Are you expecting a baby or know somebody who is? Make sure to grab my first year course, The New Mom Survival Guide. The on-demand course contains modules covering parenting in the first year, newborn feeding like breast and formula feeding, newborn sleep and infant sleep, introduction of solids, safety, baby care how-tos, developmental milestones, teething, and so much more. With videos and printables, you will feel supported through the first year. The course also has a roadmap that takes you through what to expect visit by visit so you can feel more confident and calm in the choices that you make and the stages that you'll go through during your baby's first year. By purchasing, you also get access to our Facebook community to troubleshoot issues or concerns. It also makes a great gift that can support a new mom through her motherhood journey. Check out the New Mom Survival Guide by visiting pedsdoctalk.com and searching our popular courses. 
Also, the thing is, a lot of babies don't need like 17 hours of sleep or 16 hours of sleep, right, as newborns. And so if they're getting 12 hours of sleep at night and they can only be awake for 45 to an hour, they're not going to have those naps. Like that nap sleep just doesn't exist. (laughs) No, I, you know, the short, and I love that you brought up the seven month thing because I get a lot of, a lot of the questions are coming from um, parents who have kids who are like four months, five months, six months. And I'm like, wait it out. And I, I agree with you that it's, the, the chemi- like the sleep chemistry and just the sleep rhythm um, can take time, especially for those those naps to consolidate. I agree with that. Um, what in terms of the next the next question, uh, babies, have you ever worked with a family or your advice on this was a question I got when you're doing some sort of self-soothing or whatever you're doing um, sleep training and the baby is crying to the point of vomiting? Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah. It what does- advice? you give them? Because I, I mean, I've had that too. And I, I'll tell you what I've said, but I want to, I'm curious about what you've said. Oh, no, I'm curious about what you say. <laughs> um, first, I want to make sure it's not like a, what's it called? I can't say scientific words in English. Gasto and Yeah. GERD, like gastroesophageal reflux. Yeah. So I'm sure it's not that. Like my baby had reflux and that was miserable. Oh, right. About that sometime. Uh, uh, um, make sure it's not that. Second, if milk is like half an hour before sleep, then that milk is right at their throat, right? It, not more than half an hour so it's right at their throat and if they're screaming if you have a screamer they're gonna scream right my baby was never a screamer and he never screamed my second baby is a screamer so as soon as you put him down sometimes he would scream even if he'd like turn around go to sleep right um so screamers that have milk in their throat might throw up (laughs) just as you might throw up if you had just drank milk right um so remove that milk from really close to bedtime also if that happens when you're doing a method clean it up and put them back in there otherwise they might start to think like okay yeah throw up and get out of here (laughs) yeah that becomes a habit you don't want to have so that that is so I'm going to use the example and again I know this might not be for everyone but if someone's doing Ferber okay and so what I've said is the same is that if they're doing Ferber checking to see most doctors I mean if my baby, if I have a patient who has really bad reflux and they're coming into the four month visit, I usually don't clear them for sleep training because I want them obviously to make sure that the re- so the reflux is okay. So kind of going back to the beginning of this episode, that's why it's important, like Andrea said, to clear sleep training with your pediatrician because they will let you know weight wise and medical issues wise if you're clear me- on a medical basis. But okay, so now just say it's a kid who has no reflux, just meaning no GERD, just normal baby spit up healthy, thriving weight, whatever it may be. I say the same thing that yes, um, maybe it's um, the proximity of the food, but the whole concept of cleaning the vomit and obviously continuing that clock. um, I do get a lot of families that stare at me like I have three heads when I say that. And I'm like, you're not going to let the baby sleep in their vomit in this situation, obviously, like some because there are some methods that you close, you know, walk in the door, close the door and, and walk out. This method is if someone if your kid's vomiting, I completely agree, you're gonna and you're gonna go in. So an example is when we did a cry method with Ryan, I when he started crying, I'm looking at that monitor. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking to see what's happening on the monitor. Because if he has his legs stuck in the slat, if his face (laughs) is in a pool of vomit, I'm not going to let him, I'm, I'm not, a, we're not monsters. I'm not going to let him in slit in that, in that vomit or anything, but yeah. that's what I, I agree with you. And I, I appreciate you saying that because, um, you know, it's, it is developmentally speaking. If we keep going in every time they vomit and stay there without resetting the clock, you know, obviously you clean it up, but if then you're like, okay, well, I don't want to do this anymore. They are very smart. They can learn. And I, 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 I would not have thought it if it didn't happen to my own son, but they're very, very smart that they know with repetition, 
if I just cry to the point, but obviously any loving parent is, and I would, I would hundred percent agree with you. You are going to go in, you're going to clean it up. You're going to, if you have the plan of obviously patting the back, giving them a kiss, whatever you want to do, you're giving them that reassurance because you're not, you're, you're their parent, you're going to be back, but it, it does help to do it that way. I have many families that when the kid starts vomiting, they go clean, but then they're like, I can't do this. And I'm like, well, then if you don't want to do it, I'm hundred percent on board that maybe just give it a break. Like wait until yeah, the baby's yeah. a couple, a couple weeks older, if you want that, that is okay too. Because if it's making you stressed out mm-hmm. as a parent, it's not going to be, it's not going to work. Yeah. There's no timeline. There's no timeline. Yes. Months they have to sleep through the night. Yes. There's no timeline. And if it's giving you more stress, watching your baby fight and vomit and da da da, and even though you know that maybe it may happen, it is not worth it because if you're not happy with it as a parent, the kid's not going to be happy. I mean, it's going to be. I mean, either way, but they're just. It's they're going to be. Everyone's going to be miserable. Everyone's going to feel guilt. Everyone's just going to be upset by it. So I really, I really appreciate that that answer. have you had situations, and I'm sure you have, if a family chose a method and just say it's a gentle method or a cry method, whatever it may be, and it wasn't working and you had to switch to totally. like a, a more um, gentler method or vice versa. Have you had oh, to do that ever? Sure. Yeah. I yeah. think just all life, like um, I always tell them too, like try it out. And they're like, what if it doesn't work? Like, well, then we know that it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like, like today's uh, client, she was like, well, you're telling me to do this more intense method, but I don't think I can do it. And I said, okay, then don't do it. Like, let's figure out what happens if you do the gentle method. Like I have all this knowledge. I can, I can analyze the situation and advise you. I'm a consultant, you know, I'm not <laughs> in your house telling you what to do. I'm just telling you, you know what, I think this might be best, but if you want to do something different, if your mom gut tells you to do something different, like try it out. It doesn't, it's not going to end the day. And so a lot of people come to me and say like, well, it didn't work and it's been two nights. It's like, well, maybe you want to keep trying, but if it doesn't feel right, you don't have to keep suffering through it. Right. Find something else that does work. Yeah. And it's and exactly that. Like it's, and people think that you have to get like, pigeonholed into this one method. And it's not absolutely like I've had this conversation with one of my best friends who's trying to sleep train her, her daughter, and it's not working. The method of Ferber, for example, is not working for her daughter. And we've spoken about it. And I'm like, you know, maybe we have to, you have to try something else because it's not always going to work for every child. And it's, it's so important that parents know the different methods and just the different ways to sleep train, because again, meeting the child um, at their, their temperament or at their, what they need, you know? So I, I love that. The last question I had again, from the Q, uh, question box that I put up your comments about early wakings. This is actually a very, very common question. I get my baby who wakes up at 5am versus 6am, 7am, I think is okay for most parents, but a baby who's waking up before 7am, um, meaning sleeping through the night, from 7 p.m., but waking up at 5 or waking up at 6, what would be your advice to that family or recommendation? Uh, first, t- to realize, like, are they sleeping at 7? Are they falling asleep at 7 and waking up at 6? Because if so, that's 11 hours. Like, a lot of babies just need 11 hours, right? But anything before 6 is definitely not good. And so there are a lot of things that could be in play. That's actually the hottest topic right now because it's the beginning of summer and it's, you know, starting the sun is coming out earlier setting later and a lot of people especially right now too because of the corona situation a lot of people have not stuck to schedules and there's not a lot of uh, what's it called expectability yeah you know and so when things are off the first thing that suffers usually is baby sleep yeah (laughs) morning and so they'll wake up earlier so it's a hot topic right now but the thing is two things about this there are a lot of different things that could be at play 
And once everything is correct, this is my least favorite issue to solve because it can take weeks, even if you're doing everything right. And so a lot of times people are like, well, I did everything you said and it hasn't worked. And I'll say, okay, how long have you been trying this? And I'll say two days. I say, well, that's why. Like you need at least two weeks of consistent good schedule, environment, feeding, um, response at the morning, um, comfortability, not a full diaper for two weeks. And then the body will reset and start to sleep longer. I know it's not the answer most people want to hear, <laughs> but it's not a quick fix in most situations. Sometimes it is. And then I get really good reviews. <laughs> and so, you know, and so you said like, um, because if, if it's before 6 a.m. is when you would lay, if you're going to put like a definition, that's what you would consider early waking. Before yeah, six. maybe yeah. before 6.30, but yeah, yes. definitely six is too early yeah yeah i agree i i know I'm, I'm looking again as a little boy who wakes up at 6 30 on the dot um it mm-hmm. does not give me and some days it's a little early and i you know obviously like you said i i wait and see and then if it still happens then we have to troubleshoot but um definitely i know parents want to have that little later stretch but sometimes some babies like you said if they're falling asleep perfectly at seven they may not need it but it's a whole big yeah. picture thing this is so great. I, I know people are going to have way more nitty gritty. Well, this is what's happening to my baby. And unfortunately, yep. guys, we can't get into so much nitty gritty because, you know, it's such a different situation. But talking to your pediatrician or talking to obviously, um, you know, like sleep consultants like Andrea are, are good places to go, books and things like this. But what would be um, any other things you'd want to tell the people who are listening in regards to sleep or anything about your Instagram account or anything like that? Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage people to follow me on Instagram, not just because I like followers, but because I do. I have built a really, really nice community of moms that are all struggling and are all trying to help each other. Like if you look on the comments, it, I'm really just blessed with the people that are on there because I agree. each other, if you, you've seen those comments like, um, and I go on my story every day. I, there's, it's not like a filtered at all. Well, the other day I found a coffee filter and I put it on. It was really cute. <laughs> but I don't. I, I like to have a raw mom life there just to show you what I'm going through and then ask you how you are. Um, I think it was important to me to have a tribe and I didn't have one. And so I, you know what I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a tribe. And in that tribe, what I can give to my tribe is sleep help. And so that's what I do. Um, and a lot of people have told me like, you have helped me to sleep and I have never paid for your products or for your help just by following your Instagram. And I'm always like, awesome. Like, that's great. Like keep sharing the love so I can help more people. Um, of course I do have products and I do have calls and I have an assistant who I'm training so she can take calls too. Um, but yeah, I just encourage them to check out the Instagram babysleep.answers. If you I- want to love your Instagram account, which is why I reached out out to you to do this. Because one thing I will always say, I love when accounts mix humor, plus obviously serious things, plus obviously mama, mama love. Um, And the way you portray your posts, I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't have, I don't always get on Instagram and have the time or ability to comment a lot. Like I definitely am seeing things, but I, I just don't have the time to, and I love, I follow a lot of people, but I wish I had more time, but you are actually one of the only, one of a handful of accounts that I actually comment because truly it's just your, your, your humor, but also your, the way you present the information and the reassurance is, is huge. And I am the same way, which is why I love connecting with people like you and that I'm not, obviously my page is for education and my page is for inspiration, just like yours. And it's really, if someone can just take away one new thing from a post, um, you know, that they maybe didn't know before is, is so beneficial and they can find so much use of that. And I personally just feel that way about your Instagram. So thank you so much for starting that. Yeah. It's what, it's what I wish I had when I had my first baby. So 
Yeah. Bam, now I have it. <laughs> Andrea, thank you so much for being here. And everyone, like I said, like she said also, um, follow her at Baby Sleep Answers. Um, but we maybe we'll do this again later if anyone has more questions. But um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review, share it with a friend, comment on my social media. And if you're not already, follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram. Love doing this for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you soon. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unstick-